Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. We've been talking about the historical Jesus. If you missed the first episode, please go back and listen to it. It's kind of an intro, and then we talk about the book of Mark. Today I want to talk to you about the Q source. Now, the Q source is interesting. Most Mormons probably are completely unaware. What's the Q source or the Q gospel? So there's a problem when one tries to put the four existing gospels together and we'll go through that here in a little bit. But by having a fifth gospel that we no longer have, and kind of knowing what was on that fifth gospel, which we can tell from the writings of Matthew and Luke, it solves a problem that's in in these four gospels when they're put side by side together. They, the reason they call it the Q source, it's not because the guy who supposedly wrote it is named Q, this Q gospel, rather the letter Q is short for the German word Kel which essentially means source. It's just German word for source. And so we need this fifth source. We don't know who wrote it. We kind of know it was on it. It solves a problem in the four Gospels. And so we're just calling it the Q source. This this Q Gospel, we don't have any physical evidence of it. To the extent that, that we know like the early church fathers, the, the early church leaders after Jesus in the first, second, and third century, are we have quite a few of their writings. And they're talking about documents that are out there that aren't in the canon, things that we have, that we know exist. They're just not in our scriptures. There's also documents that they mention that we know exist, but we don't have anymore. We just know that. And, and these guys just never mention this, this Q gospel. There's no word of it. And so there certainly are a few people out there who don't believe that there was a fifth gospel, but Far and wide, most biblical scholars are 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 holders of this being a, a real gospel at one point. So if the Q gospel is real, if if this Q gospel really was around, really was something that Matthew and Luke used, we we know that it is what we would call a sayings document, meaning that what it would contain would be a list of the sayings of Jesus. This document would have been written pretty early, maybe as early as Mark, sometime around the time of Mark. Certainly had to have been written before Matthew and Luke because they, they apparently use it. And, and we'll find out here coming later that it would have come before John as well. And, and one wonders, I mean, the question would be asked, like, why is there no evidence of this document? Why do we not have it in existence? Again, the early church fathers aren't talking about it. We, we don't have any fragments or parchment or manuscripts of this, this Q gospel. And so one has to ask, like, why would it disappear and why would it disappear so early that there's no evidence of it around? And there's two theories behind this. One is that Matthew and Luke, and we'll get to some of this, but Matthew and Luke essentially utilize all of it. And so if they utilize all of it, the, the purpose in copying it over would would seem silly to the early uh, followers of Jesus because of how much time and energy it would take to do something like that. And so if all of the Q gospel is found in Matthew and Luke, then there would be little reason to have two documents that you're constantly copying that contain the exact same information. And so for that reason, the Q gospel may have disappeared very, very quickly. The other reason would be that this sayings document contained some 
some framing of Jesus that the early followers of Jesus would not have liked and would have simply seen this parts of this Q gospel as heretical, perhaps, and essentially would have hidden it away or destroyed it to limit its access so it had no influence on how we understood Jesus. But again, we would recognize that most scholars would say this document is essentially going to be just full of Jesus' sayings. For a while, scholars said this is impossible. It just doesn't feel right. There's There really is no document that exists of sayings from Jesus. And until about the, the middle of the 20th century, when the Gospel of Thomas comes to light, it's discovered, and we actually now have a few copies of it, um, fragment pieces as well as almost an entire document. And the Gospel of Thomas is just that. It's a sayings document. It just has the sayings of Jesus on it. Now, we know it's not the same document that would be the Q source. So the Thomas document is not the Q gospel. But we can see that early followers of Jesus, some of them were creating documents that just contained sayings that they wanted to attribute uh, to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this makes even more sense when one looks at the beginning of Luke and one graphs that Luke is just telling you. And again, we'll get to whether Luke is actually named Luke, whether he's the author. But in the Gospel of Luke, the author, right in the very beginning, tells you that he there's a lot of information about Jesus going around. He wants to kind of sort through it and give you the most accurate presentation of the story. And he acknowledges to the reader that he has lots of sources in front of him and that he's deciphering these sources, both written as well as people who were witnesses to these events or heard them from others. He's sorting through all that, all these sources, and giving you the the more accurate presentation of the material in his mind. At least that's what he wants to convey to you. And so with that, let's go into some some information here on the Q Gospel. This is called the two-source hypothesis. And, and by that, what they mean is that Matthew and Luke, independent of each other, are utilizing two sources for writing their Gospels down. We know one of those sources is the book of Mark, but we don't know what the second source is other than the information we've just gone over. Here's the synoptic the synoptic puzzle, and, and I should say here, when I use the word synoptic, again, most Mormons may not know what that means. The synoptic Gospels are Mark and Matthew and Luke. And I use them out of order because that's the order they're likely written in. Mark, Matthew, Luke. And Mark, Matthew, and Luke are very tied into each other. They tend to share many of the same stories about Jesus. There's certain parts of how they frame Jesus that cross over. And what there is, what scholars are essentially saying is that these three gospels are, you know, kind of fall into one framing. And then the book of John is something very different. John comes off as being completely unrelated to Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And so when I say the synoptic gospels, we're talking about Mark, Matthew, and Luke. So the synoptic puzzle, there's, there's a large amount of parallel material that is found in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay. There's a large amount of parallel material that's found in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark. There is some parallel material that's found in Matthew and Mark, but not Luke. 
And there's a small amount of parallel material that's found in Luke and Mark, but not in Matthew. Now, you may want to just rewind your MP3 player, your smartphone, and listen to that again. Because it's important to understand that when we find parallel material, that something is said in Mark and it's also said in Matthew and in Luke. When something is said in Mark that is also said in Matthew but not in Luke. When something is said in Mark and also said in Luke but is not said in Matthew. Those things we find, this is how we kind of dive into who's using what material. And the question is how to explain these relationships. How to explain why some material crosses over into another gospel, almost word for word in some instances. In other instances, it's the exact wording. And in other instances, the concept is so close as as to leave little room that one author had to have known about the other in their writings. And so the question is how do we explain these relationships? And that is what's called the synoptic puzzle. Now, there's a two-source hypothesis, which includes the idea behind Mark in this Q gospel being two sources. And the hypothesis goes like this. It says that Mark was written first, and then Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. Another part of this hypothesis is that Matthew and Luke were produced independently of each other. That That Matthew and Luke would not have known each other's writings and may not even have known each other and did not know that each other were writing something down. They didn't have access to the other person's material to use in formulating their own writing of of their gospel. Matthew and Luke also both used a now lost collection of Jesus' sayings, which scholars call Q. Again, short for source. So this may get a little dry. I apologize for that. I find this stuff interesting. So evidence that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. There's there's a significant overlap of material between Mark and the other two synoptic gospels, suggesting either one, Mark used Matthew and or Luke as a source, or both Matthew and Luke used Mark. Now the latter seems more likely for the following reasons. One, Omission of Mark and material from Matthew and Luke is more explicable than is omission of Matthew and Luke and material from Mark. You see, one is way more probable than the other. Matthew and Luke may omit Mark's reference to being, quote, salted with fire, unquote, which is found in Mark 9.49, because the expression is not easy to understand. Or they may omit Mark's story of the fleeing young man found in chapter 14, verse 51, because it seems irrelevant. But why would Mark omit the Lord's Prayer? Why would Mark omit the Beatitudes or the story of the Good Samaritan, much less the stories of Jesus' birth or of his resurrection appearances? Again, going back to the episode, the first episode, the book of Mark has no nativity. It also has no visual experiences with the resurrected Savior on the part of his followers, or others for that matter. Another one, number two, divergences in Matthew and Luke from the sequence material in Mark are more explicable than are the divergences in Mark from the sequence of material in Matthew or Luke. Miracles scattered throughout the first half of Mark are gathered together in Matthew 8 and 9, 
providing a topical, quote, miracle section, unquote, comparable to the preceding teaching section found in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7, the story of Jesus' rejection at Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6, is moved forward in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, because a hometown story makes logical sense prior to the stories of his ministry elsewhere, and because the story introduces the rejection of Jesus as a programmatic theme to be developed in the narratives of the ministry that follows. If we were to assume that Mark was copying from Matthew or Luke, the rationale for his altering their sequence of such events would be difficult to comprehend. Point three, minor differences of language or fact are better understood as Matthian or Lucan improvements of Mark, rather than as Markan corruptions of Matthew and Luke. Greek syntax and grammar are more colloquial in Mark and more refined in both Matthew and Luke. For example, Herod is incorrectly called king in Mark 6.14, but is correctly called tetrarch in Matthew 14.1. The last one, numerous inconsistencies in Matthew and Luke are more explicable on the premise that they are using Mark as a source than they would be otherwise. Matthew actually does call Herod king in 14, chapter 14 verse 9, but Tetrarch everywhere else, because at 14.9 he is following Mark 6.26 and neglected this time to correct his source. Luke 4.23 speaks of miracles in Capernaum that haven't happened yet. Luke chapter 4 verses 31 through 37. Because Luke bases the story in chapter 4, 16 through 30 on Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6, which in Mark's gospel does come after the account of the Capernaum miracles. And so those are the reasons why the, the assumption is made, this is the evidence that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. Now, we also have to go into some other parts of this. There's, there's evidence that Matthew and Luke were produced independently of each other. So with regard to sequence of events, Matthew and Luke frequently agree with one another and agree with Mark, but they never agree with one another against Mark. That's very important. So there are times where Matthew and Luke, lots of times that Matthew and Luke agree with one another and also with Mark at the same time, but they never agree with one another against Mark. So anytime they go off Mark's script, they're not in agreement. And this is one of the evidences that, that these two are writing their gospels independent of each other. This suggests that Mark served as a basic outline used independently by both Matthew and Luke, who sometimes followed him and sometimes did not. If, as an alternative proposal suggests, Mark had copies of both Matthew and Luke and produced an abbreviation of their works, we would expect instances in which Mark departed from the sequence of events followed by both Matthew and Luke, but that never happens. Neither Matthew nor Luke ever includes the other's additions to the Mark and text. That's another point. Matthew's additions to Mark's story of the temple cleansing are not found in Luke, Luke's additions to Mark's story of Jesus' transfiguration are not found in Matthew. Number three, the likelihood that either Matthew or Luke 
use the other as a source is reduced by what would then be inexplicable omissions of material. The story of the sheep and the goats is found in Matthew chapter 25, 31-46, to but is not found in Luke, though it would fit quite well with Luke's characteristic concern for the poor. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is found in Luke chapter 18, but not in Matthew, though it would fit well with Matthew's polemic against the Pharisees. The material that Matthew and Luke have in common, but that is not found in Mark, is never found at the same place in their Gospels. In other words, any time they veer off of the Markan material, any time they veer off of the Markan material, they're, whatever stories they're telling, whatever instances they're using, they're not putting them in the same place. So again, if one of them was working off the other one, you would expect to find some of that. For example, Matthew places the woes against the Pharisees near the end of his gospel, during the last week of Jesus' life, chapter 23. Luke places them around the middle of Jesus' ministry, while he's still in Galilee, chapter 11 of Luke. This suggests that Matthew and Luke are independently using material from another source, that Q gospel we've been talking about. If Matthew were using Luke, or if Luke were using Matthew, we would expect instances where the material that they have in common, but that is not found in Mark, would come at the same place in the gospel story. So that's the evidence that they're working independently. Now, the evidence for the existence of Q as an additional source. Matthew and Luke have a great deal of material in common that is not found in Mark's gospel. If they did not derive this material from Mark, and if neither of them derived it from the other, then the logical conclusion is that they derived it independently from some additional source. This conclusion is bolstered by the following observations. 1. The non-Markan material that Matthew and Luke have in common exhibits strong verbal agreement. The two Gospels often say exactly the same thing displaying more word-for-word correspondence than in passages they have derived from Mark. In other words, any time that Matthew and Luke are in agreement and that of sharing some material and that material is not found in Mark, it is, it is nearly identical. It has a stronger uh, correlation to each other than, than the material that they're using from Mark. Number two, the non-Markan material that Matthew and Luke have in common often is presented in the same general sequence. This suggests that they are inserting material from an additional source into the basic Markan story, though, as indicated above, they never insert this material in exactly the same places in the Markan story. So while they are putting this material into different places in the narrative, they are keeping these things in order. In other words, let's say the Q gospel has a list of 10 quotes from Jesus. While Mark, sorry, while Matthew and Luke are implementing number one into various places in their stories, they are using number one first. Then they're using number two. Then they're using number three, all the way down to 10. So they're using these sayings of Jesus in the same order, even though they're placing them in very different Parts of their story. Number three, the non-Markan material that Matthew and Luke have in common 
exhibits a high degree of linguistic and theological consistency, suggesting that it came from a single coherent document. And so that is the the evidence for why there is a Q gospel. It is it is the evidence of why almost across the board scholars and experts believe there was a Q gospel even though there's no physical evidence of it and nobody in early uh, early in the Jesus movement talking about it. And but I hope is again I I know we're zipping through information but I just want you to know there is a very, very strong belief that there is this missing gospel that would have contained sayings of Jesus and that this missing gospel solves a problem in the synoptic gospels. And and so there's this high level of credibility to the fact that this exists. In the end, though, sadly, we don't have it. And so all we can do is look at where Matthew and Luke veer away from Mark, use some other quote something other something else that's said that the two of them share but it's not found in mark and and we can make a list of all of those sayings which you could go online and find it i'll also link a uh, a document that shares all of those and so that way you can take a look and and for yourself and see what that document likely contained again the document will put those those sayings in order that they're used in both matthew and luke and you can kind of see like what this document would have looked like. And, and I think that that, for the most part, would be well accepted by almost all scholars and experts as accurate. Uh, and with that is the end of episode two on the historical Jesus. I, again, hope you're enjoying this. Again, throwing a lot of information at you, uh, kind of a high level, just going over some of this stuff. So join us in the next episode, and we will tackle the book of Matthew.